the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You hear that? Welcome every day. And then you usually hear a second one from either Alex or myself saying thank you for listening. And we do thank you for listening. This is Bart Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland. And we've been on exploring the word for close to 11 years together now. But someone joined us a year ago, Alex. I mean, you know, uh, a very important part of our team is celebrating his one-year anniversary as producer of Exploring the Word. Yay, that's Brent Austin, that um, if you've been listening to the show over the last 12 months, or maybe you've called in, Brent Austin has been at the mixing board, and uh, we just congratulate him, and we thank God for for bringing him into our team. You know, over the years, we've had a lot of great people like Devin Patrick and Brent Creeley and just real good folks, but Brent Austin came along a year ago and has just fit right in and we're most grateful for his work every afternoon. We are, and we thank God for him. And we did want to say thank you to Brent publicly. And all Amen. of his fans can uh, come and congratulate him and let him know about that. Uh, I don't know how long the line would be, but he, he it would be long, yes, he said. But anyway, we're glad to have you listening today. And we're in First John. We're going to finish up chapter 3 and go into chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. And uh, 1 John, let me just suggest this uh, before we go any further. Read 1 John at one setting. Uh, you know, just just sit down and read it and, and try to put yourself. Here's what I try to do from time to time, Alex. I like to read it like I'm reading it for the very first time. I want to read it like the people when they got it. Can you imagine like the people that he wrote 1 John to and they read it for the very first time? And so if you can put your mindset in that, I want to tell you, you will be blessed. So let me read verse 21 of 1 John 3. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now listen to this, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit of whom he has given us. Now, again, I've been keeping up with this, going through 1 John. Here we have another one that says, We can know what if he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So one of the proofs of of being saved is the Holy Spirit in you, the hope of glory. And so, Alex, I love this passage. Notice how many times he loves love and abide, abide and love. It sounds, they're not interchangeable, but it does sound like they go along with one another, doesn't it? Well, it really does, and, and Bert, it's great to be with you in First John chapter 3. Uh, you know, you began with uh, verse 20 and 21, uh, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now, 
one of the things, you know, if, if you think about your past and think about your sins and you think about your accountability and even guilt before God, I mean, you'll feel bad about yourself. But if you know that you've trusted Christ and your sins are forgiven, even though you are aware of the person you were, uh, you know that the love of Jesus has drawn you to uh, seek salvation, and you know that Christ paid your sins on the cross, and you have confidence before God because of Jesus. You have confidence before God, not because of your own worth, because we have none. You know, all of our righteousness was like filthy rags. But, Bert, it reminds me of Romans 2.15 that speaks about people appearing before God and their, their thoughts and their heart would either accuse them or excuse them. And so when it talks about confidence before God, that's got to be in Jesus and his finished work of salvation on the cross. And the beautiful thing, folks, when you put your trust in Jesus, God will forgive you, but then you can give yourself permission to be at peace with who you are. Because, I mean, we don't minimize the sin or the guilt or the things we've done, but in Christ, we are washed clean, aren't we? We are. And in Christ, you don't have misplaced confidence. You can have misplaced confidence in so many things, yourself, your good works, uh, in others. But when your confidence is in Christ, I want to tell you, it's not misplaced. It's placed in the right place because on the cross, when Alex was talking about that, he uttered the words, it is finished, another translation of that, paid in full. I mean, he paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus' blood washed our sins white as snow, what we have in Christ. And then verse 22 completes that, as we have said, because of keeping his commandments. And we do that. These things please. It is pleasing in his sight. Uh, I, I would say this, you know, if you want someone to a view of Jesus being pleased with someone. It is Stephen when he was being stoned, and Stephen was doing it because he was sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. And if you remember, they were stoning him and laying their coats at the feet of a man called Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And and so, but Jesus stood. Uh, everything else, when we see Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he is seated. But at that point in time, he is standing. And that is, we have the confidence in him because of what he has done. And I believe he was welcoming him into his kingdom. So we can have the confidence that we're welcomed into his kingdom as we have trusted Jesus Christ. And one of the evidence that we have is keeping his commandments. Again, mm-hmm. keeping his commandments does not save us, but because we're saved, we have a heart Uh, it's written in our heart, and we want to obey him. So Alex, again, verse 20, 21, and 22 sets the pattern of keeping his commandments. And then when we do, it shows we love him, and he abides in us, and we abide in him. That is the interchange, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, 23 and 24, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. John 13 says... By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Uh, As much as I believe in apologetics and good content, it doesn't say that the world will know that we're his disciples based on our intellect or anything like that, but that we love one another. Now, 
verse 24, he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abides in us. Bert, what's so beautiful is, over and over, 1 John talks about us abiding in Christ, but isn't it good to know that Christ abides in us? Amen. That's the reason I called it a divine interchange. It really is. Yeah. And you can't help but remember, this is John's writings coming out of John 14, uh, abiding in him. Alex, let me say, uh, the writers of the New Testament, although they were many and some of them wrote several books, how consistent are they? Here's the Apostle John. Just uh, let me, I I think he's driving home the point of abiding and, uh, and reminding so this abiding is him in us, remain in us. And and so, Alex, I, I, I just love that. And it says, by the Spirit whom he has given us, that's the same Jesus said, I must go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit will not come. But when he comes, the Comforter comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. And you're going to be able to do greater things through him and by him than you could if I remained. Amen. <laughs> that is the yeah. truth of God's word. Absolutely. And you know what's so beautiful is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And uh, it reminds me of what D.L. Moody said back in the 19th century. You know, D.L. Moody was one of the most powerful preachers, maybe of church history, hugely influential. But, you know, he was not an educated man. And the thing was, if you read some of his sermons, he kind of butchered the king's English. But the hand of God was on his life. And one time he was at Oxford in England, and they were trying to trip him up and get him to explain salvation. And Moody kind of said, look, I don't know. I can't explain it. He said, I looked at him, and he looked at me. I accepted him, and he accepted me, and the two of us became one. Amen. That's and a good—I don't care who gave that explanation. That's awesome, man. Yeah. that That's a beautiful thing. Now, chapter 4 is so interesting. By the way, one of the reasons that, I, Bert, I think First John is just like, a great book because you've got salvation, you've got practical application, but you've got even biblical worldview and the litmus tests for truth versus error. You know, one of the litmus tests was back in verse 22 of chapter 2. If you deny the deity, the, the Godhood, the exclusive Messiahship of Jesus, that's the spirit of Antichrist. But chapter 4 begins, and, and again, the, the necessity of true biblical teaching. But it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Um, there, it, it's so beautiful. Yes, there is love and obedience. But here's the thing. Liberalism is love at the expense of truth. Maybe legalism is truth at the expense of love. We need both and, grace and truth. And here, this book that talks so much about love, it doesn't just get into some mushiness. I mean, it's very clear. There are false teachers. There are true teachers. Verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. In other words, the deity of Christ. Amen. And Bert, it, liberal, conservative, orthodox, heterodox, isn't really the, the line of demarcation 
do you accept that Jesus claimed that he was who he claimed to be, God incarnate? That's really the line in the sand, isn't it? It really is. You start with Jesus Christ. You really do. Uh, that's the whole idea when they asked him, would we see the Father? And Jesus told those apostles, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It starts and ends in Christ, the Word of God, coming, and he became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here it is, and notice the word beloved, how many times this appears, Alex, and I know I'm trying to bring it up each time, but the reason I do, John was writing this letter to people that were followers of Christ so they could stand in an evil world. Guess what? It's still true today. First John, knowing it will help us stand. We'll be back with more of First John right after this break. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I had right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be you know, we are in First John chapter 4 on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Bert Harper, Alex McFarland. so honored that you're listening. When you get to verses like uh, cha- uh, verse 2, here is the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. In other words, the deity of Christ. Bert, it reminds me of Matthew 22. When you and I talked through the Gospel of Matthew, there's the question, Matthew 2242 what think ye of Christ what do you think of Jesus folks this is the question no no other question even comes close to the significance do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was the son of god god the son not only his identity but his work god who came in human form and went to the cross to pay our sin debt uh, that is the question every human who's ever lived will answer. What have you done with Jesus? And First John chapter 4 really tells us that we need to answer in the affirmative, and we need to beware of those who teach otherwise, don't we? We really do. Let's go back to the word test a minute. Here's one thing. I'm, and we're tr- what we do on Exploring the Word, we're trying to equip the saints as well because that's what he told pastors and teachers to do, to do equip the saints that they can do the work that God's called them to do. Watch out words, but look at the definitions by which those people are using those words. Again, I found that to be true. Satan is a liar, and when you look at false prophets, what you do, they're, they're demonic, they're antichrist, and what they do, they want to take and steal, kill, and, you know, this is what they destroy. do, destroy. But they do a lot of it by a liar, and it's changing the definition of what does it mm-hmm. mean. And so sometimes you've got to be careful and listen. You you don't just listen to the word. You listen to how they use that word and what they're saying they believe. And so, Alex, again, it's uh, test the spirits. Uh, the spirit of Antichrist, I just want to tell everybody, 
it has been here since the time of the Apostle John. And and the Antichrist is coming later, but the spirit of Antichrist has been around opposing Christ and against Christ. That's what it means. But what you do, you start with Christ. Is he the very Son of God? Has he come, born in the flesh, born of a virgin? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Can you come to the Father? And it all starts with him being the very Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then all of those other things that I've just mentioned, Alex, they're not possible. He's, mm. he, he, would, he would be in need of a Savior. But because he's God, he did not need that. And he became the sacrifice that was needed. That This is what's neat about Christ. He is the high priest and the sacrifice. He offered himself as the sacrifice to have forgiveness of sin. Make sure you come to Jesus. He is the beginning of truth. He's the middle of truth. He's the end of truth. Start with Christ. Mm. You know, Erwin Lutzer uh famed pastor of Moody Church in Chicago talks about how like 30 years ago there was something in Chicago called the Parliament of World Religions. And there were all, you know, you go around like this trade show and there were different booths explaining this and that religion. And um, he said that, you know, Jesus, he asked several people, what do you think of Jesus? And they said, well, he was he was a good teacher or he was very famous. And Lutzer says this, and it is true of Jesus. He said, we needed a Savior outside of our predicament. A sinner can't save sinners, you know. We needed a sinless Savior. A drowning man can't save someone who's drowning. We needed a Savior who was outside of our predicament, God, holy, righteous, and yet able to intervene within our situation. And, Bert, that is the genius and the unique uniqueness of the Incarnation. Amen. That, that the eternal God, perfectly holy, sinless, righteous, all-powerful, but he clothed himself in humanity, perfect, unspoiled humanity. And so that's why over and over, uh, while true biblical teaching really sets forth the deity of Christ— uh, and verse 3 of First John chapter 4, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, even now already is in the world. You are of God, little children. See, over and over, John uses the term little children. Uh, and it's really the word pediatric in the Greek. It's, it's a very tender, sweet word. Little children, meaning the body of believers, uh, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Bert, that First John 4, 4, that's a very famous, very famous phrase, isn't it? Greater is he who is in you, that's the Lord in your life, dear believer, than Satan who is loose in the world. And uh, what a comforting word that Hasn't the Holy Spirit of God probably brought that to your mind many times along your journey, Bert? Alex, many, many times. Even today, I've shared it. And yes, God is that God. Now, let me go back. I, I find something that's quite unusual. Listen to this phrase. And you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Little children overcoming those false teachers. Little children. 
Now, that's what Paul is, uh, John, get the right apostle there. This is what John is sharing so strong. Jesus said, you're going to have to become as little children in order to enter in. But then as God looks it on you, he looks on you with just awesome preciousness. You are my child. You are the one I'm caring for you. But through the power of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, we, quote, little children have overcome the wicked one. Greater is he that is in you, little children, than he that is in the world who's lifting themselves up and saying, we know more. This is what wokeness is. They say, we've been enlightened. Uh, before wokeness became the word, it was enlightened. And I, I've been around a while, Alex, so I've seen mm-hmm. them change all the verbiage oh, yeah. and all the words, and they adapt and look at. But it's enlightened. No, they have been living in darkness If you do not realize that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh of God and has made himself known unto the world, when they asked him uh, when he was in trial, Jesus said, I haven't done anything in secret. I've done it out there in front of everyone. You can come, look, and see the Lord is good. And so, Alex, I I just could not pass that up. The little children are overcomers. Um, (laughs) That's that's powerful to me. I got to say this, and folks, I got to throw something out there that um, I don't know if all these names are going to mean anything, but Bert, do you remember probably when you were in seminary and you begin to learn about uh, liberal theology that, you know, denied the Bible? Do you remember the name Rudolf Bultmann? Oh, yes, I certainly do. Uh, okay. Well, Rudolf Bultmann was a German liberal, and uh, a lot of the older mainline denominations that are suffering from. Uh, theology that was discredited 50 years ago, but they're still you holding know, on. <laughs> holding on. Yeah. But uh, Boltmannian theology was part of that. Well, one of Boltmann's students that got saved and broke away was a German lady named Etta Linnemann. Now, when I was at Liberty University 25 years ago, uh, Etta Linnemann uh, was this German scholar from Tübingen, Germany, and she uh, was talking about how she was under Boltmann and these world-renowned German liberals, uh, but she found the true Jesus and got saved and became a, a great conservative scholar in her own right. But listen to this, folks. Speaking of little children overcoming the world, okay, she had rubbed shoulders with what were thought to be 1948 to 1953, thought to be the greatest scholars in the world, and these you know brilliant intellects of Europe, that denied Jesus in the Bible. So some people said, well, you got to come here this, come to this church, come to this church. So somewhere in in Germany, she went, and I I remember I personally met her, and I heard her tell her testimony. So she goes to a church, and she said she heard a man expound the Word of God like she had never heard before. And suddenly her eyes were open. She said, "For, for two hours, one Wednesday night, I heard the Bible brought to life, And she thought, oh, my goodness, this is the greatest scholar I've ever heard. He knows the Bible. And she went up after it was over, and she goes, I've never heard the Word of God, you know, proclaimed, and it's all clear to me. Who, where did you go to school? Oxford, Cambridge? Who are you? Well, it it was a farmer. (laughs) But he was a born-again Christian, and he knew the Word of God because he knew the Son of God. Amen. And I'll never forget, in front of an audience of 10,000 people at Liberty University, Etta Linneman, she said, I knew the power of God's Word 
and the power of God's Holy Spirit, and I saw the reality of Jesus, not because I heard some Ph.D., but she said, a man brought the Bible to life like I'd never heard, and it was just a layman who got up one night in a Bible study, uh, some German farmer, but the Spirit of God was in his heart. Now, I'm not saying yay or nay about education. Education is a fine thing. Just don't get educated away from the Lord. And so here's the thing. The spirit of, of Antichrist, the denial of God and truth, sometimes it gets very sophisticated. Believe me, uh, Satan's uh, objections against truth can be very slippery and tricky and sophisticated. But the little children, the, the most common ordinary believer, has something that the PhDs don't always have. And that's the indwelling Holy Spirit Amen. that points us to Jesus. Amen, Alex. What a story. And that is so true. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Word of God is able to do what scholarship, academics cannot do. The Word of God stands, having done all. Now, listen to the rest of this, and it, it just goes powerful. They are of the world, these antichrists, these false prophets. They are the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world. The world hears them. It's, what is that, tickling their ears, you know? Mm. We are of God. How do you like that statement? John says, we are of God. He who Amen. knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those of you that have your Bibles and you got them open, I hope you underline in your Bibles. There's nothing that desecrates your Bible. Underlining, underline the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This mm. has always been. Don't think it was not. It was like you said, German theology back there. That liberal. It's always been around somewhere, uh, and sometimes it gets more. Uh, I, I would say advantage of others than it should. But here, the error has always been. That what you want to do is the spirit of truth. And again, go back to verse 1, test the spirits. You start with Christ. What do they say about Christ? What do they say about the word of God? What do they say about the virgin birth? What do they say about the return of Jesus Christ coming back visibly? What do they say concerning the things that t Jesus taught? So all of these things. If you don't stick with Christ and don't stick with the stuff of Christ, you'll wager off in the spirit of error. And uh, listen, you don't want to. You don't want to drift. You don't want to go that way. Stay with Christ, Alex. I, I know you might want to say something, but I want to go to verse seven. Notice what he mm. does again, beloved. How many yeah. times he brings it back? He says, I, "I'm speaking to your heart. I love you. I care for you." Uh, if I didn't care for you, I would not be giving you all this material that I'm giving you concerning Antichrist, concerning false teachers. I would not be giving you this warning of, of the spirit of error. And so John is uh, in love. He is laying out truth, brother. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, and again, uh, the first six verses are really about orthodoxy versus falsehood. You know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's very interesting, the word there in verse 6. You know, it says, hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So understand, look, 
some things in this world are absolutely true. Conversely, some other things are absolutely false. And the word there translated in the English error, um, in the Greek, it means falsehood, things that are against reality, but it also means wandering. Uh, Listen, there's a narrow path, the pathway of truth and life. There's the pathway of wandering. It's like G.K. Chesterton said, look, there are 10,000 ways to go to hell. There's one way to go to heaven, said Chesterton. But then it goes back not just to orthodoxy, but orthopraxy, right belief, right action. Hereby, uh, we, we know that we're born of God and that we love one another. Verse 8, he that loveth not does not know God, for God is love. That's who God is, love. Now, I love verse 9. <laughs> in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, Bert, you and I, uh, we've been working on a list of 100 key Bible verses, and this is one of the ones that I love. <laughs> Not that, verse 10, 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but literally, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation really means the turning away of wrath that we did deserve, but God sent Jesus to turn the wrath on himself so that we would be spared. Now, that is the greatest love of all, isn't Amen. it? Amen. Hallelujah. I love that. God is love. Let me tell you the two God is. God is love. God is holy. And only through Jesus Christ can those come together to save sinners. What a Savior. Hallelujah. We're going to be back with your, your questions right after this break. Don't go away. Not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, growing like a lion. God's not dead, surely alive. He's living on the inside, growing like a lion. Amen. I, I love that intro. God's not dead, he is alive, and I pray that it's in your heart. Our number, I failed to give it before we went off. Every once in a while, we do that. But some people know it by memory, and they call it anyway. So we have folks that have called in. But if you want to call in with your Bible question today, the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And we have lines that are open that we will be able to get to you. But I did want to say this real quickly. I will not take long. Uh, I just want to remind those pastors and those people that love their pastors that would love to send their pastor and wife or ministering wife to the Fishbowl Retreat. Jan and I host this. Jeff and Debbie Shreve is our our guest this year, so we're going to be there together. I can't wait to work with Jeff and Debbie. We love them, and uh, it's going to be a great, great three days. It's September the 26th. 27th and 28th at the River Bend Retreat Center in Glen Rose, Texas. That's southwest of Fort Worth, if you're wondering where that is. And you can go to repairingthefoundations.net, repairingthefoundations.net, and you can register there, and we want you to come. It's a time for pastors to refresh, renew, and equip, and we would love to meet you there. 
So with that Amen. in mind, Alex, you ready to go to the phone lines? Let's do it. The number is 888-589-8840. And, Bert, where should we go for the first questions on today's edition of Exploring the Word? Let's go to Tennessee. Welcome, David. Hey, guys. Uh, I just wanted to call and tell y'all I, I really enjoy listening to your show. I'm a born-again uh, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, Alex and Bert, I, I really love you guys as my brothers in Christ and I wanted to tell y'all that. And um, Amen, God David. bless you. Thank you, David. Amen, brother. Hey, Back at you, listen, brother. it is. It's true. And, uh, Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to say, too, um, like, you know, lately I've been noticing, like, a lot of people have been deconstructing from the faith. They've been, like, even people, like this one guy on YouTube, he's like a guy that's, uh, bat, he had a, grew up in a, like, Baptist christian background he's turned away from his faith and and another thing too is like that and also like some years ago i was witnessing witnessing at work to this guy he was a guy walked went up to him he said a witness to him for christ and he said yeah i used to be a christian and he used to be into that he used to be a christian but he turned away from that and um got into muslim and that now he's like a muslim now and he doesn't he turned away from Christianity to must to Islam, and uh, I'd be noticing things like, you know, like a lot of people turn away from the faith now. Uh, what do y'all? What's y'all's comments and thoughts on that? Alex, let me share. We we got folks calling in all over. You comment first and go at it. And if I add anything, I'll do it so we can get to as many as we can today. Go ahead, Alex. Well, uh, you know, David, it's like First John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us because they didn't stay with it. And uh, if somebody could turn away from Jesus, I don't think they ever really knew him. Um, I, I know that might sound simplistic, but uh, let let me say nothing nullifies the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. And I truly believe, and I know we all have ups and downs, we can get depressed and things like that, and and that's why we need to have revival services, and we need to daily feed our soul, and like Paul talks about in Romans 7. But Bert, I think if you have encountered the true and living Jesus, you would never turn away from him. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I agree. I, I will not add, and I can't add to that. Stay with Christ. He is the one. Start with him, stay with him, end with him. That's what mm-hmm. you want to do. Let's go to Rob in Arkansas. Welcome, Rob. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing great good. today. Good, good, to good, to, good to hear from you. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to take credit for this quote that I have, and what what I thought about was, and this is just general for the whole world. You made the excuse to commit the sin. Now make the excuse to ask for forgiveness and repent. I just want your comments on that. Go ahead, Alex. Well, um, I, I'm not sure. Listen, I, I appreciate that in general. You say you made the excuse to commit the sin, so now make the excuse to ask forgiveness. I would say um, own the responsibility to repent and ask forgiveness and turn to Christ. But uh, what you're saying, if I read you correctly, um, sin and salvation really is a matter of one's personal accountability to the Lord. And, Bert, you can't go to heaven on your parents' coattails. You know, like my friend Will Graham says, 
God, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has lots of children born into his family through faith in Jesus, but no grandchildren. That's why, folks, you, maybe your parents were the greatest Christians ever. Maybe granddaddy gave the land the church house is built on. That's wonderful. But that will not get you to heaven. You yourself must personally put your trust in the Lord and be saved. And so we encourage everybody to make sure you've done that. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Let's go to Illinois and talk to Sandy. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, First time caller, but I know you've discussed this on the air before, but the issue with women being in pastorship of a congregation, uh, I need biblical information on that. Okay, go ahead, Alex. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, Really, um, if you read the New Testament and you look over 2,000 years of church history, uh, I would refer you to some scriptures like 1 Timothy chapter 2, you know, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, It says, if a man desires the office of pastor, he desires a good work. A pastor should be the, the... husband of one wife, First Timothy, uh, you know, First Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man. Then in First Timothy 3, I mean, this, this alone should be the litmus test, First Timothy 3.2, that the, a pastor is the husband of one wife. Well, I'm, I'm not being smart or flippant, but no woman can be the husband of one wife. And so, Bert, um, there, believe me, I'm, I'm keenly aware that many Protestant churches are defying the New Testament and are ordaining women as pastors, but that's not due to the Bible being changed. That's just due to 25, 30 years of, of the feminist movement here in the Western world. It the, is, the yeah. Senior yeah. pastor role has always been male. It has, and again, that it it's complementary for his equality but in positions god has certain guidelines and qualifications that we look at that and we do our best to go by them and uh so alex great answer uh we hope that helps sandy let's go to georgia charlene welcome to exploring the word yes i have a question a, a friend told me just point blank that Jesus is not equal to God. Well, um, uh, Alex here, let me say, I I don't know why they would say that, because Jesus uh, taught that he was. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you know. And in one of the key passages that I love to give people is Mark 14, 61 through 64, where Jesus quotes uh, two very key Old Testament passages, Exodus 3.14 and Daniel 7.13 and 14, and he calls himself God. But John 14.9, Jesus said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So, um, you know, with all due respect to your friend, I would say, look, uh, either they're right about Jesus or Jesus is right about himself. And Jesus, virgin-born, sinless life, walked on water, rose from the dead. Jesus' resume 
uh, eclipses any critic that's ever lived. And Christ taught that he was co-equal with the Father. So I've often asked people, I'll say, well, Jesus said that he was equal with the Father. Was he right or was he wrong? And I've, Bert, I've had people say to me, well, Jesus was wrong. I'm like, really? Uh, walk on water and then I'll listen to you. But until then, I'm going to go with what Christ taught about himself. Amen. Amen. It is all through. And John 1, uh, a group of people that does not believe that Jesus is equal to God, they they miss and really completely mistranslate John chapter one, verses one and two. And, uh, listen, uh, I hope that helps Charlene. Let's go to, it is Louisiana. Yeah. Shantae, welcome to exploring the word. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, my father, my kid's father, my little girl, she's two. Um, her dad committed suicide a couple of days ago. Um, we was, both raised the same way, believing in Jesus, and we were taught that uh, suicide was not the way to go because it's an unforgivable sin because you can't ask for repentance uh, once you take your last breath. So some people say that God makes exemptions. I have not read that in the Bible. I was calling to see someone that knows the word better than me can help me on that. Okay. Shantae, mm-hmm. thank you. We I hate that happened to your family. But, Alex, go ahead and and help Shantae on that. Shantae, first of all, thank you for calling. I I feel very privileged that you would call, and I'm very sorry that y'all are going through this trauma. It it is incredibly painful when somebody you love takes their their life. But but let me say, and now, folks, listen very carefully, please. I want to preface this. What I'm about to say in no way condones suicide. But here's the thing. If a born-again Christian commits suicide, they would still go to heaven. And and somebody might say, yeah, but they didn't have time to think and ask forgiveness. But the two, two responses to that. First of all, if you accept Christ, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, you're a new cre- creature. And like 1 John 5.13, if you have believed you do possess eternal life. Now, Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. One more scripture, John 10, 28, 29, says nothing can pluck us out of his hand. But the other thing is, Bert, a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, you're positionally, you are forever in Christ. Now, what about asking forgiveness? Well, there's... 10,000 sins we inadvertently commit that we don't even know to ask forgiveness about. That's right. I thought of that, too. You know what I mean? So, um, listen, uh, suicide is never the answer. By the way, folks, if you're ever feeling um, like doing yourself harm, don't do that. I mean, get help. Uh, Don't harm yourself or take your life. But if a person was truly born again, and I know there's depre- clinical depression, there's a lot of mitigating factors, and it doesn't make it right, because when the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder, that includes self-murder. But let me just say this, if you're born again, you're born again. And I know even the great leader, Greg Laurie, who we love and respect, he had a child that committed suicide, but everybody said, look, that kid was a believer, but got in a bad state of depression, 
So don't automatically, folks, don't automatically just assume someone is in hell because um, it's it's not that simple. If you're born again, you're born again. Amen. Thank you so much, Shante. We hope that helps. Let's go to Tennessee. Welcome, Kelly. Yes, sir. Uh, how are y'all? Doing good. Yeah. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Uh, my son is a new Christian. He's only 13 years old. He got baptized a couple of Sundays ago. Amen. And uh, he asked me if uh, we are lukewarm Christians for watching TV shows with LGBT scenes in it. Okay. Alex, uh, amen. Tenderness of a new believer. Listen, don't let your heart grow hard and stay tender like Kelly's son. Go ahead, Alex. Well, that's a great question, and let let me say that uh, we're not to be legalist, but at the same time, I think about Psalm 101, verse 3, where King David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, you know? So um, if, if you're convicted... If you're watching a show, first of all, I I don't watch that stuff. I'm just speaking for myself, but I don't like TV that uh, at best tolerates what the Bible condemns and might even mock the Bible itself. So um, are we lukewarm Christians when we let worldly, filthy entertainment into our home? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Bert, I'm not a legalist. I'm really not. But uh, there's better things that we could put in our head than what Hollywood is pumping at us that's contrary to the Word of God. It really is. And and so thank you so much. And praise the Lord for your son being saved and following through with, with baptism. Scott, Sandy, June, I would love to get to you, but it's so close to the end. We're going to start hearing the music that takes us out and uh, uh, call please back. Please try again tomorrow. Yes, please. We got to six callers today, Alex, so we did good. With that many callers, I was trying to get to them all. But let me remind everyone again of the Fishbowl Retreat, September the 26th, 27th, and 28th out in Glen Rose, Texas. Go to repairingthefoundations.net repairing the foundations not net and follow the the link to the fishbowl retreat alex uh you're going to continue in first john chapter four tomorrow aren't you and that's right that's right folks thanks for listening to exploring the word bert harper and alex mcfarland here and on his one year anniversary brent austin one of the great engineers we all thank you for listening and tell somebody about the american family radio network and exploring the word but most of all Tell everybody about the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a blessed day today as you continue following Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.